episode. I want to kick it out a couple episodes if that's okay. Oh, I went live with it. <laughs> so well, I, you didn't say it yet. I just went live when your back was turned. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I actually also want I want to make sure. And here we are. I'm putting on my headphones. God, I feel like it's my first time streaming. I want to also make sure that Jay hears it. So uh, okay. I'll wait for Jay. And what we can do is if we have time at the end of this. Give me. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. If we have time after talking about ETH. I will go more into it, but okay. before, yeah, I kind of want to wait. Let's see. Jay's a little late, but that's okay. That's all right. And we're, we, yeah, we, we can totally, you know, um, so, okay. So we'll save it for later, but for those as a tease, as a tease for those, if we can get through some of the stuff on the merge, we'll talk a little bit on how Jared's, Jared's hinge contact gave him shit and, and, and blacklisted him for talking about crypto, <laughs> you know? You gotta, I mean, you gotta be you, man. Be authentically. <laughs> well, I think the thing is, it's just like was the red flag of crypto, blockchain, NFTs. These are still very new concepts, and like any new technology coming in the door, it's gonna get a yeah. lot of fire. You know, the first oh, one yeah. it gets the most fire. So it was a reminder that these things can be triggers for people. And I think anytime you're just talking about money and value and uh, that can be really triggering for people. So yeah, just good things to keep in mind as, as we kind of also here create content and we individually create content. Yeah. You know, I, I was talking to a group of teachers this morning and um, we were in the sauna and talking about, you know, and I'm like, I'm like the geezer, right? I've got some gray hairs in my chin. I'm 42 and these young guys, they're teachers and they were talking about, oh man, this generation and um, I was like, what are you talking about? They said they're, they have no grit. And we were talking about this, but I got to applaud these teachers because, you know, the normal routine is, oh, they've got all the social media and that's making them nihilistic and all this stuff. But they didn't say that. They said, I, they said, you know, the internet has really affected things. And I said, I remember pre-internet. And I said, I think their generation, not millennials, but Gen Zs are... Uh, a generation there he is <clears throat> but gen z's are a generation of people that with some empathy they're dealing uh they're basically adjusting to a world of overflow of content so we think oh too much content well it's inevitable let's quit bitching about it we've got to evolve as a species so gen z is the generation that's adjusting to how do i deal with this much content and so I got to give these teachers credit. They were millennial teachers and they were talking about Gen Z that they were throwing some empathy instead of just going, they should get off the Snapchat, you know, or the TikTok and instead go, no, we got to help them figure out how to kind of adjust and become more, have more grit is what they said. But anyways, yeah, sorry, uh, Jay, you having some trouble connecting some, uh, some stuff there. You doing all right today? Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't let me in. I don't Welcome. know. Welcome. Wouldn't let me in this time. <laughs> That's what happened last time with me. I had some, I had some trouble logging on the restream, and I was about to break my computer. So I'm glad you didn't break your computer, Jay. You have more patience. <laughs> well, you missed it, Jay. Jared was telling me what his OnlyFans page was going to be, and oh, awesome. It, <laughs> and it was making scallions in an apron, what with nothing behind, <laughs> nothing on underneath. Grant was like, "What's your OnlyFans?" And I think like. <laughs> I think that there are a few people that would maybe say they wouldn't, you know, if, for example, if you're like a woodworker and you can make some amazing thing, you start with a block of wood and you can chisel out, you're going to show people like, I think only fans can go beyond just sexuality. And I yeah. think people are really, really into hobbies. And there's so many YouTube channels where people will take yeah. some hobby. Like we were watching one earlier with the guys I'm with right now. I'm in Brooklyn and we were just watching people throw pottery because it's mesmerizing. Yes. You're like, you know, we have all these things. Like, for example, I, I'm holding up my AirPods here. But if I could see a video on how the AirPods would, were, you know, would be made, I'd be like, oh, sweet. You know? Yeah. I, I might, I might, I might tune into that. Let me see what that's like. You know, exclusive content. I think it goes way beyond just desires of the flesh. <laughs> I think. Well, I think so. If you, if you have you actually ever perused OnlyFans? No. It's no. though they do put that sexuality in front of you. It's it's um, rappers just making music and some of their featured music. It's tons. It's what you're talking about. It's it's hyper niche 
monetization of hobbies and such. It's actually pretty interesting. You can't help but dig around and feel like you're getting some soft core and you're like, uh, is it going to be weird if someone looks over my shoulder and sees <laughs> that I'm looking at OnlyFans? I mean, you know how people are thinking, but, <laughs> but there's a lot of good stuff. I mean, not a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of niche specific stuff that isn't just sex for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, and that's what I feel like happens on Twitch too people put up like really cool stuff they're like you know oh, yeah. they're a chef and they're like follow me as i make this this soup and normally we look at the soup oh, yeah. like, oh it's a soup but it's like no this takes hours like to get the garlic and you're gonna you know roast the garlic and then you're gonna throw it in the pan and all this stuff so jay we wanted to wait for you though and we're glad you're here yeah. because we wanted to talk about the eth merge today because that is very much upon us and i mean it's it's upon us it's happening right now yeah, by the time we record the next week's episode, and I'm trying to open up some stuff on my phone here, but by the time we record next week's episode, we're going to be potentially in the middle of it. It says that it's expected yeah. to happen September 13th to 15th, and today is September 6th, so next Tuesday oh, yeah. could be the beginning of the merge. We could be on live when you know this really actually starts to happen, so... Well, I mean, didn't we I see dive right, that, yeah? I'm wrong. Yeah, I'd like to jump into it. So didn't we see that um, we were watching Coin Bureau and he was talking about the milestones of how this is being released. And I think this morning at 730. Yes, there was a component that was launched and that's got to settle. And I don't know, Jay, if you had opportunity to watch the video, I, I was only able to catch some of the highlights. But what they were saying, and I am now today getting emails from the ledger, like your little uh, nano, the ledger nano, <clears throat> and they're telling you what features to expect. So like one thing is we should be able to open our wallets and see two different tokens now or sometime over the next day or so between now and the date you're talking about, Jarrett, where it'll show you multiple tokens while just trying to reconcile and kind of prevent a fork, if that makes sense. Because mm -hmm. that date... The date coming up is not a developer date. It's a block date, right? Yeah. That all these developer things are taking. So um, so what do you know? But what knowns do we have that the average person, that not crypto bros, would even care about? Why care about the merch? Jay, you want to go here? Yeah. I mean, you, you guys know, like, I, I, I've been sort of pessimistic about it the whole time. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like... <laughs> I, I, I don't really know what's going to change in, in my research. I don't see like a whole bunch that that's going to really make a difference in terms of like the average person's life. I, I think there, there's some stuff that's going to make it more friendly to massive institutional investors because now they can feel a lot better about investing in ETH without necessarily having to destroy the planet. And there, there might be um, some funds that, that accept it now, uh, over Bitcoin, but in mm. terms of like just the merge on its own, I'm not sure if there's a whole lot that's going to change. What I'm kind of anxious to see is is phase two of the merge, which happens actually next year, which is the whole thing around sharding and whether yes. that's, that's actually true gonna scaling. Yeah, whether or not that's going to really have an effect on gas prices, because I think that that's what really what people think about or what everyone is concerned about is whether or not there's going to be gas prices. Yeah, Roger, I'm, I'm with you, dude. I want lower gas prices, but I think it only happens when we get to phase two, which is sharding and being able to have that that whole like layer one, layer two delineation. Yeah. And are we pretty confident that, I mean, what is the mechanism that once we go to proof of stake, what's the mechanism that's keeping the price up? So one of the things once we go into proof of stake is the amount it's going to become deflationary the amount of eth that's i think going to be burned is going to increase so over the long mm. period of time it should have like a certain percent you know so it won't be inflated right it won't be creating more but it'll be taking more off the top so it there there, there will be less that i think is absolutely going to affect the price and then as people lock up their eth and stake on the network that's also just going to take eth off of the kind of, I don't want to say liquidity pools because that's something different in crypto, but it's going to take it out of the pool of liquidity. I don't know hmm. if that's the proper way to say it, but those two things I think could uh, could totally impact price. My 
thing is, is I wanted to bring up two things, and Jay already hit on them. So thank you, Jay. Uh, ESG. The second that this is now more juicy for the big whales, the investors, anybody that's publicly traded or anyone that has to worry about ESG concerns, this now becomes something that is even more potentially attractive than even Bitcoin. Because if it's deflationary and it has so much less energy use, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And Talk to it, me like I'm in kindergarten. What is ESG? ESG is, I know the last one's governments, and I'm blanking on the oh. other one. I'm looking it up. So ESG based <laughs> environmental, social, and governments. Oh, okay. Yeah, it basically, companies want to increase their like ESG standings because they want to take care of social, being take care of the people who are part of their employee, as well as oh, making sure that their product isn't hurting other people on the planet. Environmental is fairly obvious. They want to keep a low carbon footprint. Uh, and then governance, I'm actually not entirely sure of. But if either maybe Jay, you could fill that in if you want. But ESG is basically is this a is this a company that's doing something, you know, is it is it doing something not good for humanity or potentially the planet? That's kind of what it's pointing to. And this is where the price tanked in, I believe, 2021 in April, after mm -hmm. it had hit its all-time high in March, because Elon came out and he was like, Oh, I don't really know about Bitcoin because I have ESG concerns with Tesla. You know, he's like, there's no point in having these electric cars if we're going to then buy all this Bitcoin. And that is going to cause a problem because we know that Bitcoin has proof of uh, proof of work. So those are the those are the two things I, I really wanted to talk about long term. But I think and this was on Coin Bureau's couple, couple of his videos and just that's kind of out there until we get to the sharding. We're not really going to see any change in gas fees. And I think until that happens. Chains and blockchains and cryptocurrencies, I guess, if you want to say it like that, like Polygon are going to continue to become more and more important. <clears throat> Almost all the NFTs I buy now, if I buy any NFTs, are through Polygon because the gas fees are yes. just a fractions of the cost. So I think yes. moving forward, if we're thinking about the picks and axes, which we often talk about on this podcast, it's looking into all of the other ancillary things and tertiary things that are going to support Ethereum to continue to be able to scale and grow. So like Jay said, interesting. if, yeah, if people are listening and they're like trying to think about the merge, the most fascinating thing and the misnomer is that this may not affect gas fees. Cause a lot of people are like, Oh, once we go to proof of stake, gas fees are going to just drop off the plant. Like, you know, just drop. That's not the case. Not until they add in sharding and maybe some of the other things that I think they have really planned for Q2 and Q3 of 2023. What, what is your take on the concerns about um, centralization? Um, in terms of the the validators, so basically we're looking at there being whale validators out of the gate. Can 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 either of you, I guess, break down what it means for the average Joe watching? Like, what the risk is? Like, we could go to proof of stake next week, and Before, suddenly these sorry, validators. Sorry, proof of stake. Sorry, sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and then suddenly these validators are absolute whales, and we're suddenly centralized. Like what? Is that true? Is that narrative true? What's your take on some of what might appear to be monopoly decision-making? Well, it, 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 it's yeah. still going to be like randomized to an algorithm, right? Like the, the person who actually gets to validate a, a particular block at a, at a, at a particular time is going to be randomized. So th there's still that, that portion there, there to it. And to me, it, it makes sense to have the whales, so to speak, quote unquote, yeah. whales be the ones that do it. Because if you have that much ETH, you know, it, it, it sort of means that you've been able to go through the KYC and and the the, the Ethereum Foundation knows who you are. Interesting. So you're not just like some random person out on the dark web who's, who has a bunch of Bitcoin and, and, you know, and is doing whatever you want. You're a part of the legitimate financial system. So if you end up doing something, God forbid, doing something wrong, we can we can hunt you down. We can fill you know and put you in, in prison or whatever we got to do. But I, and so this, go ahead, Jared. Great, great yeah, I want to make a comment. So I think there's a difference between centralization and concentration. And I know that that may sound like we're splitting hairs, but centralization for me is like, <laughs> you know, all of the uh, all of the Ethereum all becomes under the umbrella of the Ethereum Foundation, whereas concentration can be decentralized but still concentrated in certain places, like. If there's a hundred whales and they're all over the world and they're the ones with that, that are going to be the main validators, 
then yeah, the value would be concentrated in those 100, but it's not like they're all part of one thing or there's only five of them and they're all more or less part of the same ethos, same you know philosophy, same investment portfolio and everything. I, I'm not sure if that makes sense. Well, I, I definitely don't. I definitely question whether or not that makes sense to the average Joe. And what I mean is this, like, you you alluded to the fact that like, well, it's not centralized under the foundation and it's like, well, the originators aren't controlling it. And so to the greater narrative of crypto within crypto of decentralization is the fear that the originators of a technology, like when someone says, I want it decentralized, all they're saying is whoever comes up with it shouldn't have the right to it. And we're just saying it can be centralized by other people. Like what's the... What's the boots on the ground? The rubber meets the road difference if it's not splitting hairs. Or is it just splitting hairs? Like, eh, it's, I, a, it's a degree. I, I, think at, I think at some level it is just splitting hairs, right? My little argument here that the centralization and concentration, I mean, you can say the same thing about the wealthy in the world, right? There's 1% That's what I'm thinking. of the wealth, but it's concentrated yeah. among a bunch of people. They're not all the same. There's not like, uh, you know, three people that own all the wealth, even though there actually may be. But <laughs> if they are, they're three distinct, different people. Does that make sense? Like Grant yeah. lives in X country, Jay lives in X country. I live in another country. We all own a lot of ETH. We may not even know who each other are, you know, just because the yeah. foundation has like, like Jay says, done a high level KYC and knows who we are. We may not even know who each other is. So yeah. that's where I see it's concentrated. If you think about, like, I think using wealth is a good example. It's concentrated wealth, but it doesn't mean it's centralized by any means. So I'm, but one of the things about the proof of stake that I get worried about, and this is something that I've just seen a lot, and there was actually a Reddit post and Vitalik actually responded to it, is that the security of the network may be weaker. And that to me is someone who owns Ethereum, believes in what they're doing, and believes that honestly Solana and Cardano are not going to overtake it just due mm -hmm. to the network effect. That's a real worry because that's one of the biggest things that Bitcoin maxis will say. Hey, we have this network, the largest computing network, on the planet and that secures the value that secures that that keeps everything moving right that allows us to to to, to secure the network and so mm -hmm. when you go to proof of stake that for me becomes a worry long term because if there is a, an iota of an opening an eye hole of an opening you know a, a needle hole of an opening people are going to exploit it and so interesting i think in and around the big changes and the other thing is Going from proof of stake, this has been months in the making. Obviously, it's been years in the making, but like the last six months, every single month, something new has come on to the main network or, you know, into the main net. So as they've been doing this, you know, they're trying to obviously make sure that they do it 100% perfect. But perfection, you know, is really more of a journey, not an endpoint. So I do think yeah. over the next six to 12 months, we're going to, there's going to be problems, but mm -hmm. it's all going to be to find, you know, refine the rock. The rock is rough and it's in the wave and it's getting jumbled around. Mm -hmm. But I do worry personally about the security because I think that that was, you know, and this once again is just the Bitcoin maxi me now talking. If Bitcoin was on proof of stake, um, I don't think it'd be as strong. So I'm going to use the angle, angle postulate and theorem and bring that over to Ethereum. Interesting. That's interesting. Now, do you guys think that like the layer twos as we approach the sharding next year, do you think the layer twos are at risk or do they have their own use case? Aside from just being, I guess, a layer two or a bridge. Jay, like, what do you think on that? Because I've, I've, you know, I got my ideas, but. I'm, to general, like if I can go back to, to what you were saying just now, Jay, like I feel the, um, the, the there is a, an, an opportunity for Ethereum to be overtaken by some of these other layer ones. And I'll tell you why, you know, I feel like other one layer of the ones. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, Solana, uh, Cardano, Cardano, Dot, yeah. Polkadot's another one that I, you know, the, still there. Oh, the, the, yeah. the, the idea is that it, when, when, when Ethereum becomes ESG friendly, when it becomes more environmental, um, a lot of what you're going to see happening on that system are people who are trading it for financial speculative purposes. Yeah. And it, if it gets to the point where gas prices don't decrease, it'll make it really difficult for people to build, continue to build applications on top yes. of Ethereum, even with the sharding. And so it'll be where the only applications that are running on Ethereum 
our financial base because those are the only applications that will be able to afford the gas prices, just the regular gas prices and everything else that's just, you know, and any other like simple type of application, like, you know, a podcasting app, for, for example, will have to find a home somewhere else. And if all of these run of the mill applications need to go somewhere else to a, to a Cardano to, in order to, to make the applications work, then eventually they overtake Ethereum because most people aren't involved in, in, in financial transactions, but there will certainly be a lot more financial transactions as the financial world and, and institutional finance becomes more crypto friendly and they'll they'll just move to ethereum rather than going to bitcoin so we in in this this move from proof of stake to from proof of work to proof of stake we may see the flippening happening that we've been talking about for a lot of a lot you of years you think so but but we may also see even faster than that, another layer one chain come and, and take over Ethereum. I, I think there's an, the opportunity for that to happen as well. What's the what's the horse in the race, Jay? Sorry, I, I want to ask Jay. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I want to ask Jay two questions. Jay, first of all, in that scenario, and I think that's highly plausible what you're talking about, how, talk to me about where you think the price is going to go. And you can build it out over a couple of years or however you want. And then the other thing that I want to ask you is, what is the layer one that you think would replace mm. Ethereum at the at the top? I, I, I've definitely been looking at Cardano as being the 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 the. the that's what, that's that's what I'm talking about, boys. Grant <laughs> loves Cardano. Grant love uh, yeah, paid Jay pre-show ten Cardano to say that. <laughs> ten, ten Cardano, four dollars. <laughs> He's a big spender. Grant's a big spender. <laughs> Okay, so Cardano could be the one that takes it over. And then talk to me about the flipping because I do believe long-term the flipping will happen because I believe that there will be a layer one, whether it's Ethereum or Cardano or Solana, I believe it will be Ethereum. That's just going to add actual real-world utility beyond just being a store of value and something that is kind of like the new bearer global asset. So when do you think the flipping would happen and when it happens, and this is a wild prediction that no one knows, but if it were to happen, what would be Ethereum's price and what would be Bitcoin's price when it were to happen? Mm. Well, you, I don't think it's impossible for us to see, you know, Bitcoin going to 100K. I mean, it yeah. was already pushing towards that. That that seems pretty likely at this point. I also, I also don't think it's impossible for us to see Ethereum going to 100K either, especially as it becomes more palatable for investors. Um, yeah. So, and, and then as we, you know, we've talked a lot about how uh, most of what we're going to see in terms of, of progression of the ecosystem is going to come from uh, these BRIC nations. Uh, so South Africa, India, um, and, and just developing and growth regions in general. Okay. I think they're, if, if the the price of Ethereum goes to 100k, they're automatically just going to switch to to the next best thing. And it, it might be Cardano, it might be some something new. I personally think it's going to be Cardano, but it could be something else. You know, uh, we're seeing a lot of countries. Roger calls out Stella. Stella and okay. Stella's interesting. Have you guys looked at Stella at all? Yeah, I have. It's fascinating, and it's one of the things that I. It's kind of a. It's kind of tied in with XRP, and I love me some XRP. And Stella is really trying to solve the cross-border payment issue for the average person. And I think as more and more people are displaced from their homes, wherever they are around the world, they may use Stella to dump money and to send it to a relative, you know, yeah. say, all right, here's my hundred thousand dollar. Here's my hundred thousand, you know, like Russia's just invaded Ukraine. Let me dump a hundred thousand of my, uh, oh, was it rubles? Is that the uh, Russian sure. currency? Russia? Yeah. And let me send it over to my buddy, not in Russia, and I'll use Stella. And it's like super good cross-border payments. Jay, I wanted to make sure that we're on the same page with the flipping. Is for me, the flipping is market cap. It has nothing to do with coin price. It's not the coin price. It's not like when Ethereum's a hundred and one and Bitcoin's at a hundred. It's True. the market cap. That's the way it's normally talked about. And hmm. when I think like long term, I was going to ask. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I think long term about the prices. I do believe in my heart of hearts that Bitcoin will be a million by around 2028, 2029, because I don't think that that's honestly too far away with how few amount of Bitcoin are going to be on the, you know, on the network by that time. And Ethereum normally is somewhere around eight to 12% of Bitcoin's price. 
And this is kind of like the napkin math on how Kathy Wood gets to, hey, I think Ethereum is going to be 80,000, which she said publicly. Because yeah. if Bitcoin's at a million, then Ethereum hits 80,000. But like you're saying, Jay, if Ethereum were to hit 100,000, I don't also it, it think would it's It would definitely flip. Right? Oh, like it if it gets to a, if it, yeah, if it gets to 100,000, it'll flip for sure. Because there are only 21 million Bitcoin in circulation. There are over 100 million Ethan in circulation. It definitely flips. There's no doubt. It would flip before. The market cap is not. If Ethereum right now, and let me just open up my app here. But I'm pretty sure 192 billion. I've got it up already. And this is this. I was going to go down this this rabbit hole with you guys. If like Ethereum just has to double right now. Yeah. And it surpasses Bitcoin. Bitcoin has to like, because it's so much larger, it's got a long, it's got a long runway, but it's not unrealistic for Ethereum to go back to 4,000. Right. And if it goes to 4,000, it really puts Bitcoin on its heels, so to speak, to flip that. I thought you were saying I was I was not tracking because when you said flipping, I thought you meant, um, I thought you meant something else. And I was looking at Tether, which is the number three USDC, which just got um, booted from Binance. Did you platformed essentially from Bi Jay? Did you see this from Binance? Binance no. is going to take everyone's for our, far as what I understand, they're going to take everyone's USDC and turn it into BUSD, and that's that. They're, they're just well, I, I don't know if they're going to automatically do that. I, what they're saying is, is there's no new USDC allowed to be purchased. You can withdraw. They're offering to convert it for free to BUSD, um, but they're deplatforming that. What's, but if you look at the market BUSD? cap, huh? Binance what's US B? dollar. It's just oh, their Binance. stable coin. Okay. Yeah, it's their stable coin. And so then you've got XRP, Cardano, Solana, and Dogecoin. Dogecoin is a top 10 still. <laughs> You, you love as to it see it. as yeah. it should I be, love, Grant. I love to see that, man. Um, so you weren't talking about Ethereum moving down. You were talking about Ethereum overtaking block uh, of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Uh, I think uh, so. A lot of this is marketing, in my opinion. So, like, Ethereum's got the best press, but if you had regulators. So I don't think Solana is ever going to be a competitor in DeFi. It's been too in, unstable. Historically, it has not been stable enough for, for a financial platform. So for true institutions to say, I'm going to actually put systems and processes on a blockchain. Well, Solana's down for two days. They're not going to have that. I don't think Bitcoin has ever gone down. And Ethereum has had trouble and is expensive. So like, it makes sense to build DeFi on Ethereum, but we've got to get past the sharding to seriously talk about that. Because I think I think I saw this video where Vitalik said, right now, Ethereum cannot handle existing dApps, yet new dApps are being created. In terms of volume, we can't load the block with this many transactions. And so there's some DeFi out there on, on Ethereum, but not much. The law gets backed up forever. And it's super expensive. Stella, though, has been with MoneyGram for how long? How long has Stella been partnered with MoneyGram to do cross-border payments? Like years. I think since 2017, 2018. Honestly, I think yeah, been it's been years. Quite some time. Yeah. So I think if 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 for real people start looking for real DeFi or for real financial institutions getting serious, and they're it's almost like the, the, the grassroots demand is actually surpassing the dev of the blockchain now. Because like, you know, in, in uh, Latin America or Latinx people, they've been doing Stella for a long time. I've heard about more Stella in Latin Caribbean area um, and I'm sure Africa as well. Um, when Modi, I don't know if you guys caught this, but in India, when Modi shut down um, Christian donations into orphanages, for a while, for like a year or two, they were absolutely refusing it. Those organizations were doing Stella, Cardano, and there was a third one. They just jumped to some crypto, but they wanted a stable one. So Solana was off the table. Cardano, to me, is the most stable, most peer-reviewed, most ready to rock for, for institutional level scale, but also for the average payment. So to me, Cardano is absolutely the next one in line if Ethereum doesn't get cheaper, if it doesn't get cheaper, I mean, you're right. It's only institutions from there. So, so do we expect sharding to really make that much of a difference? 
it, it, they're, they're, they're sort of like betting the house on it, you know. Um, really? It's really the only way for Ethereum to to get more transactions in is is to have this horizontal delineation of of the database. Now, what have you been liking about Cardano, Jay? I'm curious. I've I've only been looking at the price. I, I've been following Cardano for a long time. Maybe not like really deeply into it, but I know. Well, I used to work for a uh, community college and one of our partners was, was IBM. And I knew that they really liked it at IBM. They saw it as like an institutional partner at one mm-hmm. point. And the, the, the price uh, lately has been like inching upward a little bit. And so I've been like, ah, oh, they're, they're backing the game. So that, mm-hmm. that, that, that's really like the, the, the extent of it from my side. Yeah. Grant, I want to, I want to, Talk about you mentioned. Can you go back on that comment that you made about the grassroots demand outweighing the devs? Is that what you said? Something like that? Outpacing, I think so. Outpacing. Okay. So I recently had this guy on my podcast, and his name is Joe DePinto. And he and this guy, Dan Wagner, shout out these guys. They created this thing called Haste Arcade, and it's super cool. On the arcade, you go on. And it's hastearcade.com, H-A-S-T-E, arcade.com. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about it, and I'll go back to 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 the point I want to make with what you've just said about the grassroots as far as the devs outpacing the devs. If you go on this Haste Arcade, you can bet a penny, $0.10, cents, a dollar, $10, $100, and maybe even $1,000. And if wow. you bet, and if the higher you land on the leaderboard, you then get paid out from that day if they make, you know, if a hundred people play and they spend a thousand dollars in the penny, you'll get paid out a certain amount. So okay. it's a really, really cool way to like, and they don't call it play to earn, but they call it play and earn. And on the Haste Arcade, they don't use Bitcoin, they use Bitcoin SV. And Bitcoin SV stands for oh. Satoshi Vision, which is like the third fork from Bitcoin to Bitcoin Cash yes. and then Bitcoin SV. Now, the reason why they do that is because they don't believe that Bitcoin, which was supposed to be this peer-to-peer electronic cash system, has been able to keep up with its demand. And it's gone from what it was supposed to be, maybe peer-to-peer cash, where we can all walk around and use Bitcoin, to kind of like an institutional-grade asset that people are going to bury away because they believe it's going to go up. And that kind of goes back to what you're saying about you know, the, the grassroots idea or the philosophy behind the project is being outpaid, like, uh, which would be the devs, you know, Mm -hmm. what you're able to build is being outpaced by the demand. And yeah, so that is kind of how we get into Bitcoin SV, but I found it to be very interesting and eye opening that you start out with a cryptocurrency to do one thing, but then it ends up being another thing. So, right. So Toshi said, let's make Bitcoin peer to peer cash. Anyone can use to buy anything with super low transaction fees. And very, Mm -hmm. very quick. Like that at least was like the, that was the dream. Now that's not the case. Now you're not going to like use Bitcoin at the store if you understand what it is. So when I think about Ethereum, maybe Ethereum, when Vitalik created it and it came out, it was supposed to be A, but it may end up being XYZ. And we don't really know what that is. But even though it may be more expensive, like Jay's saying, it may go from being something that you want to build your DAP on or your NFT project or your DAO but it may yeah. go into something where Bank of America, Chase, the banking system sits on top of it because they can pay the fees and they yeah. build things with lower transaction fees. And they honestly just fire a crap ton of people because that's what happens with technology. You know, you don't that's need all these people if you have the blockchain doing it. So what I'm trying to say is I think the evolution of blockchains and cryptocurrencies are always easy looking backwards, easy to connect the dots. But as we're in it moving forward, sometimes it's very difficult to see. But maybe yeah. Jay's saying NFT projects in 10 years will only be done on Cardano and Solana. That's it. And, and Ethereum. Interesting. Yeah. And Ethereum and all the other things, if you want to build, you have to have a certain amount of money in the bank. You can't just, you know, the three of us can't just come up with an NFT and just throw it up because Ethereum will be at that point too, too expensive for the quote retail creator. Mm. That's interesting. What are we going to say there, Jay? Uh, uh, I, I, I was going to ask is, is, is Cardano like um, centrally owned? So like someone can buy the whole thing? No. No? Okay. No, it's the most, it's ranked the most actually decentralized platform. 
Right, but like is the code owned by a single entity where like if, if Bank of America came along and they said, you know, like we want a blockchain, we don't want to build it from scratch. Can we just buy it from Oh, that's a great question. I don't I don't know about code ownership. That's a good question. I, I don't know much about that for any blockchain. What were we gonna say, Jared? Yeah, I was gonna say that I that's a very interesting question because for me, the only thing that's decentralized in the world is Bitcoin. That's it. Anything else is centralized. If it has a founder, it's centralized. Like Hoskins, he's, he's, you know, that's, that's his baby. And he like runs it. You know, I saw this tweet the other day. Once again, I'm really, really sorry, people. You're about to be orange pilled from the Bitcoin max in the room. But it's like, if your coin has a founder, it's not decentralized. And I thought it was a great tweet. Right. But he's anonymous and no one knows who he is. Right. right. So, so he's not, good guy. So he's not like, you know, standing up there saying, praise me. Cause I do believe what Jay's asking is a really sad, is a really sad question. It's like, oh yeah, who owns the IP to the code? Right. If it's not, you know, creative commons, I mean, we, not could out look, there for we could look into it. I, I, but I, I would, I would caution a broad stroke term of the, uh, the treatment of the word decentralization. Decentralization is so critical of a concept to Web3 uh, participants that we can't just say it's whether or not it's got a founder. Like, I mean, I, I think that's doing it injustice, meaning like, like, for example, Charles Hoskins has already shown the ability to step away from a project. He co-founded Ethereum. This wasn't Vitalik. This was a whole horde of people. And, sure, Charles, sure. Him, and Charles himself show, said, hey, let's, Let's wind the thing up and walk away from it. But Ethereum was not stable enough. And Charles said, we could build something that's even better. Now, Charles himself, I think, has even called for a hybrid model because he says already it's unrealistic to have pure centralization, as we've discussed in the past. Like, if you want a project to really succeed, you need people to, to, to participate. So maybe from that concept, you're right, Bitcoin. But the risk of that is this. No one's really innovating Bitcoin. So to me, Bitcoin's at risk aside from being a currency, but I think this is how it's going to evolve. You're talking about the evolution of, of you're talking about the evolution of these blockchain technologies. If Bitcoin doesn't evolve, that plays in its favor as a reliable uh, medium of exchange. So an, as an actual currency. So maybe you're right. Maybe that's the only real pure decentralization. But I don't know because when we have a world of validators and 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 incentives to hoard control, even voting control. Um, what is decentralization? And in that case, like Ethereum is not decentralized at all. You know, um, if you think about it. So I don't know. I think we have to protect these words in, in a lot of ways. I don't know. Like who founded Stella? Uh, that you know? I would have to look up, Jay. Do you know? Uh, I don't know. No. Do we know who did Solana? I think that was a team i don't think it was necessarily yeah. one person i i wanted to say obviously i mean i the big star wars fan and the line you know only siths siths speak in absolutes yeah I think about because i just said only bitcoin is the only decentralized like great they're all it's something <laughs> the dark side yeah there's probably arguments for others but i do think it's probably the most salient argument and i do mm -hmm. want to say people are building on bitcoin right like what yeah. uh where how how oh, oh my god i made butcher's name Jack Mahler's what he's been doing with Strike and uh, the Lightning Network, that is building well, like that is using Bitcoin and finding better ways by using the Lightning payment system to allow Bitcoin to to run more transactions, and that has been instrumental because without that, El Salvadorians wouldn't have been able to use it as uh, you know as a as a currency along with the dollar, because it would just be you know if I want to buy tomatoes at the bodega for fifty cents, but I have to pay a twenty cent fee on the network. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pay 40 cent service fee. So with the Lightning Network, that's already sped up payments and allowed more payments to happen for cheaper. So that is a thing that that is happening. Yes. Do miners vote on it like validators? Like do not the GitHub know. code? Yeah, I do not know about the 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 technicals of that, but I should the learn. Governance. Yeah, yeah. We should talk about it one day because I do think the Lightning Network yeah. is really the way forward for Bitcoin. And I see sharding kind of like the lightning network where you're going to have mm -hmm. things done and then eventually they're going to be put on chain, but they're not going through the entire, you know, block network 
when they're when you know kind of when they're when when they're executed i guess i should say maybe that's not even a good word because i know ethereum has an execution layer so uh yeah. these things are going to continue to be iterated on and i don't know for bitcoin maxis it's like do you need to improve water right it's good <laughs> so you need it right so well i guess as a like i would assume as a maxi you want your technology to do everything but i guess bitcoin maxis are people that just believe it's good as is and as a currency, I guess, let me ask you this, as a Bitcoin maxi, is it your hope that Bitcoin is just adopted as a currency? Or do you hope that it becomes the all-in-one blockchain network? No, I just hope it's adopted. I don't think there's going to be an all-in-one. I actually think that cryptocurrencies or any blockchains that try to do too much, I think that that's where they fail. I just think there should be mm. one net one network that kind of does you know, NFTs, dApps, DAOs. I know that I just said like it should do one, but like if that's what Ethereum does and, you know, allows people to build on top of it, that's yeah. fine. Uh, if, you know, Bitcoin wants to be the reserve global asset, that's the reserve global currency, that's fine. If Stella wants to just allow people to send really, really quick payments, that's fine. You know, I'm not. Yeah. And so, yeah, that makes sense. I forget, I forget the exact, I forget the thing, but it was Ken Cato who was talking about. He's like, look, we're going to start out with all these things and there's an actual name for this, like this theory. And by the end of the day, you're going to end up with a Google, right? No one's going to remember or use yes. Ask Jeeves. No one's going to use all these other search engines because one's just going to kind of suck them all up. And I think when it comes to building in Web3, talking about the merge now is really funny because we'll look back on this episode maybe more than any other episode we've done. And we're going to see if we're really right or really wrong because I believe what Jay said is spot on. They are betting the house and their summer home and their you know tiny house cottage in new england all on sharding because if that doesn't bring down fees i just think at some point when ethereum is worth eighty thousand and it's 0 0.02 ethereum to do something and you're going to spend a couple thousand dollars or whatever to mm. mint an nft you know or add anything to your dap it just it it becomes untenable so but we'll see. The, 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 like I said, this episode, and I think is this okay, this is number eleven. This one we'll look back even in three or four years, and we're gonna be like, oh my god, because as uh, Kyle <laughs> Butler said, who came on my body, said thirty days in Web three is like a year in Web two. Oh yeah, and and I don't know what Randy's referring to, what Doctor Randy is referring to, but uh, and I don't know that much. Yeah, I don't know what she's referring to. Yeah, Doctor Randy, do you want to uh, maybe? define more about what you what you think yeah. is really right <laughs> now you know i i, I kind of have this inkling this intuition that what you're talking about how blockchains will evolve to use case and um and develop their own perception i don't even, i don't know if you guys remember a software called autocad um in the early 2000s they were a premium uh, she said, you guys will be right. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. She's like, I'm betting. I'm betting the whole Satoshi on you what, you guys. Um, but AutoCAD was a piece of software that we were all nerding out about and developing um, 3D, 3D products. But it was quickly an expensive software. I think in the mid-2000s, it was like a $1,000 piece of software. And, and I'm sorry, the early 2000s, Yeah. And eventually public perception was, well, this is a premium offering because it's priced premium. And so at the time we were paying for Adobe software. And so this was the contrast I want to bring as it comes to blockchain and not even like quality of the technology, quality of the dev team. I'm literally talking about market forces. The market was looking at the price of AutoCAD and it was an $1,000 price point. And to get the entire Adobe suite was like $1,500 too, to get Photoshop and Illustrator and Premiere. And it was like, man, only agencies can afford this stuff. So we were like sucking it down through Napster and you know doing that sort of thing. And then eventually, pretty quickly, Adobe adopted a subscription model. It dropped to like $60 a month or something like this. Meanwhile, AutoCAD went up. Boom, here she says. I remember AutoCAD price premium, but still a little clunky. Absolutely. But the price point drove the public perception. So AutoCAD started, it stopped all of its public marketing and started courting agencies, design agencies and um, architecture firms. 
Meanwhile, Adobe basically became the little brother to Mac. And they went for that public thing. I think that we're going to see something similar with blockchains as products. And if Ethereum doesn't get its act together quick, in time for market demand, the market will just believe it's too clunky and too pricey, and they will have to court hmm. development agencies. We'll court developers. We'll court institutions, and that will just be their play. Like right now, if they went after Solana's investors, they'd make money. Who's, Let me just who's, who's they? If, Ethere if the Ethereum Foundation started, and they might already be doing this. I don't know what their, what their um, budget's like. But if they went after the investors in things like Solana, they'd have more money than they'd need. They'd just go straight for institutions. Meanwhile, let, let currencies be Stella, Cardano, or Satoshi's even. And that's the thing about Bitcoin that I'm learning. It has a brand as a currency. And we floated, we joked about Satoshi's, but we should, we should trade Satoshi's, I think. And we'd see more adoption because it would just get in people's heads that, well, I could, I could send you a few Satoshi's. It's fun to say. It's marketing. So I guess that leads to a question. What's, the, what's your perception of market demand for any of this? For any of blockchain, for the evolution of the merge, like, do people know or care Jay, about what's going on? Yeah, I, I, that's the thing, right? And you even hear like developers and founders talking about it where if you're putting blockchain into, or you're putting Web3 into your, your product, you're basically hiding it from your users because it just it complicates it and it, it makes yeah. it more difficult for, for people to get onboarded because they're still, you know, not really as trustworthy of Web3 as they were of Web2. And uh, so it, I think there isn't a whole lot of market demand for it, but there's a lot of use case, like technical use case. It, it, I, I'll put yeah. it this way, like no one cares about JavaScript but it, it's it's one Correct. of the, the the most useful pieces of, of code that we have and you basically have it have it in everything right and yeah but you don't have advertise your product and say hey we've got like the best javascript available you know you just put it in and, and everyone assumes that it's going to work i think eventually we get to that point where all of the stuff that we're doing right now whether it's the merge or sharding it, it, it becomes irrelevant interesting so like I mean, we're talking about it because it's the topic of the day. I'm wondering how much, for example, of our LinkedIn following even gives a flying flip, you know? And what do they care about? Like this, this raises a great point. You know, we're talking about it and we know that this is important to the future of what's coming, right? I don't want to dismiss that. But like, what do you think this is revealing about what's important to the, our average follower, say, for example, on LinkedIn? I mean, Randy's here. What matters to you, Randy? I'll float that to you. Maybe you'll answer in a second, but to the guys or to Jarrett, what do you think is important to people about crypto right now? I think the only thing that's important to people, when I say people, I'm just going to say like the 99% of people yeah. in the space is money. And the second NFTs went down, everyone sold them. Everyone left discords. They went quiet. OpenSea is down 99% on its transactions as opposed to like four or five months ago. So yeah. I think it's just money. Right. And yeah. the only reason why people are paying attention to the merge is because they have money in Ethereum or they have money in a DAO or they have money in NFTs or a DAP that's tied to the Ethereum network. But the reality is, you know, uh, for me, Ethereum, this merge, and this is for many people on crypto, probably ourselves, this is the biggest event in crypto since Satoshi, you know, dropped his white paper because yeah. it's totally going to shake up what's going to happen. You have almost $200 billion in market cap which is almost, I don't know, 20% of the entire market is, is could, I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, yeah. And so what is important mm -hmm. to you about crypto in general? And Randy, uh, Dr. Randy says, uh, they don't, I care about because I work and teach healthcare analytics and believe in healthcare record safety. <laughs> this is very interesting. So let's extrapolate on this more or just what Jay was talking about. I don't think anyone really cares about this because I don't think I think the technicals of the merge are way, don't care about the gas, it's crazy, uh, are, are way over people's heads. And I yeah. include myself in this. I've tried to study the merge as much as I can, but everything that Ethereum is trying to do, it's, it's really technically dense. And yeah. I don't think people are actually going to adopt NFTs 
until they don't know that they already have adopted them, right? Ticketmaster yeah. sucks. If you ever go to a concert, Ticketmaster sucks. But yeah. one day in the future, you're going to buy uh, an NFT to go to a concert. It's just, you're still going to call it a ticket. That's fine. And it's just going to be cheaper and it's going to be an overall better user experience. You're still going to get your QR code before you go in. Yeah. And that will be the way it is. I, this past uh, weekend, I bought, I'm going to a wedding soon and I was getting my hotel room and I was on one of these hotel websites. I don't mind shouting them out because I think that I don't know how they're still in business. Uh, the Weston Marriott and I get it online and I put down for, you know, two days or whatever it was. And then I check out, but it only showed like one day. So I had like a problem. And then I bought one of the ones that's like, oh, you can't change your thing. You know, you can't change your reservation. So I call them up. I'm like, I can't change the reservation, but I actually want this to be different because I know if not, I'm going to, you know, run into a problem. Can you change it? She says, no, we can't change it. I said, okay, cool. Uh, what's the best way? She says, well, you should just cancel your, you know, your uh, reservation and let's get you a new one. So I say, okay. The original one per night was about $200. Not 10 minutes later when I had her do it again, it was $250. That will not happen potentially in Web3 where they're just not price gouging. Things will, mm -hmm. in theory, well, there'll be a market level. It may be cheaper. It actually could be more, but I think it will return back to its mean. And in that moment, I was so angry and I was like, I just wish this oh, was I bet. Web3. I wish this was me just putting an NFT in my freaking wallet. Leave me alone. I don't have to call customer service. But uh, like I said, I don't think people are going to know that they own NFTs until they realize, until until after the fact. You know, you're going to be like, hey, dad, you went to that concert? That was actually an NFT. Did you know that? You know? Yeah. So, but I, I think everything's just driven by price in this space. I mean, as a Bitcoin maxi famously said, you come for the money and stay for the money. That, that's that's <laughs> the use case for for um for web three in general, right? Like using Mac market pricing to to stop price gouging. That's what chain link is. Well, I don't know if it prevents price gouging. I mean, how do you well let me ask, how do you perceive that fixing price gouging? If if there's if there's a market rate for something, um, then you know I, I think you'd be more likely um feel more better about paying that price than whatever arbitrary rate, um, with the Western Marriott comes comes up with. You know what I mean? Yeah, because because what Jay's basically saying is, imagine that hotel room is an NFT, and in ten minutes the floor price isn't going to change by twenty five percent. I'm still going to be able to mint in and around the price that I originally got it at, right? But because I'm dealing with Web2 and the hotel industry, they all of a sudden, you know, they've got me because they know I need that room. They, and they, know you know, need they the wouldn't room. let me in my yeah. account do it. And I was just like, I hate you guys so much. Utility has not increased. You've just changed the price. And that yeah. is not market driven. How, how I, don't get how, I don't get how Web3 fixes that. It's just my example in, in, in the NFT world. In 10 minutes, I don't think that the floor is going to drop out 25 or increase 25% you, for me to be able so to buy something. And that is because the pricing would be largely decentralized and run on a blockchain? Yeah. It, um, it, 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 yeah, it doesn't even have to be. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's just like Airbnbs. Like if you get an Airbnb in downtown, uh, some city in Ohio that has 3,000 people, or you yeah. get one downtown in Manhattan, they're going to be different prices because there's more demand for one than the other. Um, mm. And so like this Weston is nothing special. It's outside of like a major city and the price shouldn't increase in 25% in 10 minutes. That's just ridiculous. Right. Interesting. Yeah. I'm just, I guess what I'm trying to get my head around is like the actual underlying tech to, to uh, that's the narrative pricing decentralization and run on the blockchain. Like I could imagine a world. So like chain link is supposed to be this Oracle, if you will, of like pricing. And what's the one that was supposed that is still compound. I think compound is one that's trying to be like the inter the web three, um, decentralized interest rate so that we could run mortgages on and DeFi on. And I think it's a brilliant idea, but like, that's like the federal reserve, the federal reserve sets a fed funds rate. Right. And in this case, there's just no federal reserve. It's managed somehow. Like what, who decides then what it should be like, let's all vote for it to be zero. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, cause we don't want to pay, but at some point someone has to have like a set rate. So what's the use if there is no regulating body 
over the long term, it's a fancy idea, but human nature doesn't match. So for example, the demand, the algorithm that sees the demand go on of this room that you took, are you saying you bought it with an NFT so you have a verified price and you can wave it at this customer service person and go, see, this would never be an issue? Or is it that there is no Weston that governs the price at all? And right. so it's just a free market. Is that what I see, Jay? Yeah, I think that's where Jay and I agree. It's just kind of like a free market. Like I believe the value and the utility of this hotel per night to be $200. So whether I mint now or in 10 minutes, it's probably going to be the same, right? People aren't going to pay $300 for it and $100 is maybe too cheap. So $200 is a fair market value. But when I go back 10 minutes later and then they know that I need that thing and it's already in my account, they can say, oh yeah, well, sorry, those, price, those prices have expired as they told me and it's going to be 250 And I was irate, but I kept it together because this is not the service person's fault who helped me. This is just, you know, this is, this is the way the game is played. So Interesting. Yeah. So Dr. Reddy says blockchain regulating body via voting based on blockchain criteria that doesn't change based on leadership. Boom. Interesting. Boom. You should uh, you should tweet that, Dr. Reddy. Tweet that at not crypto bros because I want to yeah. that. Yeah, later. tweet that at us. That's I said huge. that, please. Here's the trouble that I'm finding the longer we go. And and I I am like an optimist on the future of these things and I believe in the human spirit. Like I'm a positive person about the human spirit. I believe though that we also don't do anything without incentive. So for example, what Randy's talking about, that is awesome. Who's going to build that for free? We need to either mature the idea of a DAO, aggregate resources, and delegate through a short-term DAO with a sunset date on it, although throw some ETH at it and go, that developer needs to get compensated for their time, but now we need them to develop this and then run away from it. The reason people came up with that algorithm that screwed you is that there was an incentive to do it. Now, mind you, it was a gouging incentive. They went too far. But there was an incentive to come up with that. The reason they built Airbnb is that they realized, A, there was a product market fit. There was a demand for it, but then they also could skim off the top. There was an incentive to themselves. And so she says no one because that means they don't own the right. money flow. And this is my challenge with this. I think that anyone who cares cares about crypto is in a quandary today because they realize there's conflicting philosophies. How do we jumpstart this thing? And we almost got there in the previous bull run, but we mismanaged it. And so there's very little legacy from the previous bull run in the tech, except where Ethereum, who's still developing? Ethereum, why? Because they're centralized and they're scraping money off the top. A lot of money. They're scraping like mm -hmm. 14 million a day in transaction fees. So there's, there's incentive for them to continue to develop. So I guess my question is, how do you guys in reality, not in awesome ideology or ideally, how do you see this actually rallying for real continuous innovation in a world where no one stands to build this app we're talking about that actually decentralizes Western in or Western in and disrupts them because there's no financial incentive to do it. So, so yeah, I don't also think that this has to be decentralized. I think that that's a dream. I just uh -huh. think the Weston Inn, if they just sold their rooms by NFTs, I could return that NFT, change what I actually wanted done, change the uh -huh. metadata, and then rebuy it 10 minutes later. I don't I think see. it has to be decentralized, done by some anonymous person, but sometimes somehow takes a billion dollars and then, you know... Oh, it was literally just a piece of data. You weren't trying to get a better amenity or, or a better client. I was literally just trying to change how many nights, and that was it. But I couldn't oh, because when I checked out, it showed me, it said, you know, your summary. It showed me something that, that was A, and then when mm. I checked out and had it, it was B. So I called them to try to fix it. And, oh, wow. if, you know, if it were an NFT that I could even return to them, and they're like, oh, yeah, thanks. We'll take that back. It's on the blockchain. Then I could go change the metadata because I want an extra night or you know an earlier check-in and then buy it again. That takes two seconds. Everything I've just described is I don't care. The Weston can own it, right? Like moving forward using NFTs and these things, it doesn't need to be decentralized because you know you could totally have a centralized product. Like I do believe Airbnb, Ticketmaster, all of these things are going to use NFT technology, non-fungible technology, in the near distant future use this type of tokenization, but it doesn't need to be decentralized. 
Yeah. This just allows everyone to kind of be on the same page. And once you, here's the thing, once you put it on the blockchain, you're cutting out so much customer service. You're cutting out so many issues because it's just all going to be right there. Yeah. And, and, and that you're, you're calling out a realistic middle ground, I think, which is, yeah, we just have to use this technology to look for small ways to massively improve the user experience. I recently read a Harvard Business Review um, article about what has changed within marketing since the pandemic. And one of the major things is you're not competing with your competitors. That's the old paradigm. The new paradigm is you're competing with your customer's last best experience, which in some situations isn't hard because people are getting very much let down as you were with this customer service experience. So if I can build a DAP that scrapes off a smaller, consistent commission that stabilizes a predictable price and gives you what you want through the ledger, Hey, you know, I, I can't, you guys would be fine letting me scrape my profit margin as long as I'm not gouging you. And maybe I give some veracity by, by using the chain link article and saying, Hey, on average, this is the average price of the room. Here's my 10% fee on top. Boom. Call it a day and let you change what you want. I mean, that's all that Redfin is doing in real estate. The yes. normal real estate transaction yes. is 2.5%. Redfin's saying we're going to make it 1%. Yes. So it's going to be 60% cheaper for you. And mm -hmm. you as the buyer or the seller are going to be super pumped to do that. Yeah, And, you know, I have many friends in real estate, Grant, I know you're deep in real estate, and they tell me all the time, no one can replace what we can do. The second someone says that, and there's kind of a consensus about that across that industry, they're about 10 years yeah. away from being scraped. And I know that Maybe sounds sooner. dark, but it, I've seen it a hundred times in my life, and I swear I'm not that old. So, um, yeah. We yeah. are well, coming I, to the I, end of the hour, though. So I was going to say, Jared, you got a skedaddle. You want to give a shout? I got a skedaddle, but Jay, you want to you say something? Yeah, finish the that out though. Yeah, I, I was saying, Grant, and to respond to, to your previous question about how this actually comes to fruition in the end, I think the the foundations that we have, like Ethereum Foundation, Cardano Foundation, they can only take it so far. Like their vision is, is only the technical vision. They're the people who are like uh, creating the... Um, like the, the the Python, the PHP, the the the, the Linux systems, they they've created the foundation. Yeah. I think there's someone else who's going to come behind and take that open source technology and then create yeah. what would be the 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 Western Marriott version of of it, where they're not price gouging like all, all of the the prices for for their hotels, a hundred percent based on on the market rate. And they're using that blockchain technology that was created by Ethereum to to take the the tech to the next level. Um, so sort of like you know Air, Airbnb sort of did, did it already by by you know like just allowing people to to um, to to rent out their homes. I think eventually somebody uses blockchain technology to do the same thing for for the hotel industry. You're raising a killer point, Jay. God, you drop nuggets. What, you know, this phrase that I've been despising is we're early. And you guys know that I've been pushing back on that in the last few episodes. Like, well, are we really early? You know what? We're, we're not early per se, but we are still in the Cretaceous area. We're still in the developer era where we're sorting all this shit out. But you know, this hashtag that's been floating around, build it open, hashtag build it open. We almost, and I'm guilty of almost taking that as license to critique the innovation process. But all we're discussing aren't flaws. We're just discussing the speed bumps that developers and innovators are like, we're very aware, Grant. We don't need your commentary <laughs> because we're trying to sort this out as fast as possible. But I do think because we're building it open and because people are hearing about the promise of crypto more quickly than past technological revolutions, I think the demand is outpacing the development. You can't rush the sharding process, not if you're going to get it right. Look at Cardano, 10 years of peer-reviewed peer material just to pump something out. And now they're here and people are kind of like, ah, let, you know, I want something that's shinier, that's flashier. This is why we're focused on NFTs because it's the only toy the developers have given us to play with, right? And so we're like, let's play with this. But we're talking about things that we're still 12 to 18 months away from even really letting the, 
capitalists get in and really build the Airbnb of replacing Western. Weston, go ahead, Jared. Everything you've just said points to us being early. I know. I know. I'm correcting myself. Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> I'm <laughs> correcting myself. All right. All right. Because I, I, I can't tell you how early I think we are in crypto. Like it's absolutely freakish. You know, I can walk yeah. down the streets and ask people, do you own crypto? What is Bitcoin? And yeah. nine out of 10 times, you're going to be looked at like a conspiracy theorist. And yeah. it almost doesn't matter where you are. Maybe if you're like in Union Square in New York City, it might be different. But like most parts of the world, there are much bigger fish to fry. People yeah. don't have money. They need to make it till tomorrow or they're dealing with the climate crisis, which is still yeah. raging right now as we kind of come to the end of the, uh, you know, the summer for, for some people around the world. So, yeah. Well, let but me shout out here, if you don't mind. Let me shout out Dr. Randy for being our, our only player today. And to me, this is evidence of how not interested the average person is in this technical crap. Like, like we know the importance and I want to continue to talk about it. I don't want to deflate that, but I want to shout out to someone who, like Dr. Randy, who's still in it and thinking about these things. Um, and shout out to literally the, the, not just the Ethereum team, but the developers out there from this conversation, the developers out there who are grinding to bring this thing to fruition. Because after this conversation, I actually have a newfound respect. That's my shout. What do you guys got? Cool. Jay, you want to go? Okay. Um, if you're listening to this, go ahead, follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn at Not Crypto Bros. And my shout out today, actually, I actually had one. I like thought about this. I was like, I want to do a shout out. I forget what it was. So Dr. Randy and Roger Williams, you guys will get the shout out. Thank you for joining us live today. And I guess my one thing I want to say before we kind of transition here is that we are going to go live this Saturday at 6.30 a.m. So make sure that you are joining that event. It's our first kind of Saturday social, or we were going to call it small business Saturday, but we want to keep things open and we want to continue to create content and we want to do it twice a week because why not? So because we'll see if why our, not? yeah, we'll see if our, uh, you know, content creation lives up to the demand or maybe the demand is greater than the content creation levels, but <laughs> that's my shout out. Jay, you want to go ahead? Yeah, uh, all last week, the last couple of weeks, I've been meeting with a lot of people who want to create Web3 content. And so I just yeah. wanted to, to, to shout out everybody who, who's jumping into the game. Um, yeah, th th there's a lot of room for it. There's, there's a high demand for it, like you were saying, Jai, for, for more of this type of content. And people are recognizing it and, and we're starting to, to fill those gaps and find creative ways to, to get these ideas across and not just you know, education and, and talking about the news and, and like beating a, a dead horse to death, right? We, mm. We've got some some new stuff coming out. That's good. All right. For sure. Well, everybody, check us this Saturday, 6.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to be talking about small business solutions. We're going to be troubleshooting some of Jay's stuff and answering his big three questions. Uh, but otherwise, catch us soon. Like or follow us on LinkedIn. Thanks, everybody. Ciao. Peace.